Courtside Rant with Colin and Grant. I'm your host, Grant Asseth, joined by Colin Corlett. We are both students here at Arizona State University at W.P. Carey School of Business. We are majoring in sports and media business with hopes of creating this NBA podcast for all of you to listen to, hopefully every day, all day. <laughs> and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the stars that switched teams in the NBA this summer and what it means for their new teams and how their teams fit around them and possibly debating which star will have the most impact on their new team. All right, Colin, let's talk about Paul George. Oh, the one everyone wants to hear about. Exactly, exactly. So as we all know, Paul George was traded for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Colin, what are your thoughts on the most discussed move of the summer? Um, you can also probably add the adjective of most surprising because who saw the thunder come out of the woods there? But, Very true. Um, gonna say it time and time again, and you're gonna hear me say it, you know, for the rest of my life. Sam Pressy, one of the great GMs in the league, so undervalued. Um, in term in terms of the trade, you know, brief analysis before we get you know too far into it. I I think it's a win for. The Thunder, I think, a huge upgrade. Definitely fills a void for them. Um, the void left by, you know, the great KD. But um, I, I think it, over all their all their offseason moves, but mostly Paul George, I think it definitely helped round their team a little bit better than the one-man wrecking crew of Russell Westbrook, who was the Thunder last year. Exactly, exactly. I agree with you there, because there's more to the Oklahoma City Thunder's offseason than just Paul George. But before I get into all that and the Patrick Pattersons and the, the players like that, I'm going to discuss ultimately what Paul George means for that Thunder team. And I, I've been able to watch Paul George all 82 games plus playoffs for the last few seasons. And that's going to be a major addition for that Thunder team. He brings fantastic off-ball offense, which ultimately I think a lot of people don't understand about Paul George. He may have a high usage rate, and he may do a lot of great things with the ball, but people overlook his ability as an elite catch-and-shoot player, a fantastic off-screen player, and a cutter, and a player who can leak out quickly in transition. So it, it, it goes beyond just being an off-ball player, too, of course. And how do you think he can coexist alongside Russell Westbrook? Because that seems to be the major topic when thinking about the Thunder. So basically what you just des described to me was the type of player that Russell Westbrook has been waiting to play with for his whole career. That off-ball player, on-ball player who can do a little bit of everything, kind of like Westbrook. And, and people are going to you know hate me for saying this, but I like Paul George with the Thunder more than I like KD with the Thunder. And that's not me saying KD isn't as good as Paul George because KD's one of the best. Um, but in, ter in terms of this offense, in terms of the personnel on the team, Paul George is just a better fit overall, and I think it will – that they're going to get above 50 wins I, for sure, I think, this year. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle in the West with all these new additions to every team, but they're, they're going to be in the thick of it for sure. Ultimately, I do agree with you because when you have a player who obviously impacts the stat sheet in the fashion of a triple-double, like essentially a 30-point triple-double, right? 
you add someone who puts up almost like what almost 20 23 points plus almost seven rebounds and almost four assists like that is fantastic impact and that's exactly the type of player that everyone wanted Russell Westbrook to be paired with last season and also Russell Westbrook is exactly the player that we have been wanting Paul George to be paired with in the last few seasons because when you get down to it and look at the playoffs Paul George is a killer he puts on a show he he comes out guns blazing and basically takes LeBron has taken LeBron to the brink multiple times in the playoffs and now instead of being a one-man wrecking crew himself he's going to be alongside another one-man wrecking crew and when you really simplify it to that you know standpoint it gets pretty interesting because who else in the Western Conference outside of the Golden State Warriors has a two-man wrecking crew quite like Oklahoma City? And that's before even looking at the other additions they've made and the other pre-existing players on that roster. Um, another another thing to kind of just throw in there, who was the last player to wear number 13 for OKC and how did that turn out for them? James Harden, really well. So, you know, you throw in Paul George, who happens to be wearing 13 as well coincidence maybe maybe not so I, I'm, I'm expecting big things out of Paul George specifically with the Thunder but then you we can get into the whole additions of Raymond Felton as well as Patrick Patterson and how and and Terrence Ferguson can't forget the first round draft pick and how how do you think those three additions along with their roster that's carrying over from last year can gel compared to the last year's team my biggest concern with the Oklahoma City Thunder's roster after adding Paul George was what they were going to do with that power forward spot. In today's game, you need like a Swiss Army knife power forward that can space the floor, you know, with three-point shooting and also guard at least a solid level those both styles of power forwards in today's game. So Patrick Patterson fits the bill there. He's not one of the best power forwards in the league, but he is very good for what his role will be in Oklahoma City. Done. Exactly, exactly. And then Steven Adams will have a lot more space when you think about it because Paul George is a fantastic perimeter shooter. And then now you add a pr legit perimeter shooting threat like Patterson at power forward, you're going to have those pick and roll wide open lane opportunities for Steven Adams like they did during Kevin Durant's day because you don't leave Kevin Durant at all. Like, even when you don't leave him, you're leaving him, almost, in some sequences. So, the whatever side Paul George is on, it's either a pick and roll for Steven Adams, a straight line blow-by by Russell Westbrook, or a catch and shoot by Paul George. It's Those are the main options, but of course there's more to it than that. But when you have those as something that you work with as a focal point, it becomes very difficult to think about guarding. Of course, the one other concern I have is the spacing with Andre Robertson that he provides. But he, <laughs> that perimeter defense of Robertson and George, and also if you factor in the power forward spot of Patterson, I like that. I think that'll do do damage, and that's a need that they need. They had last season, and I think they really solidified it with their off season. You you literally took the words right out of my mouth. Um. When I when you were you know discussing all the additions to the team and how it fits more offensively, uh, when I'm looking at the roster, you know, projected starting lineup here would probably be Westbrook, Robertson at the two, George at the three, and then Patterson and Adams. 
to me, the improvement defensively is a lot greater than offensively. Like, don't get me wrong, they they improved offensively tremendously, you know, with the additions of George. But from just a whole spectrum of looking at the whole thing, I they're gonna be one of the top defensive squads in the in the league. Maybe not the whole team, but at least the starting five, and then you know you add in Grant and Houston, who are you know the versatile defenders. Cantor can't defend worth crap, but you know <laughs> they they got that solid starting five, and then you know two guys off the bench who can basically fill the voids of Robertson and George a little bit when they come onto the court. I do think an X factor for me is the immediate impact of Terrence Ferguson because I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'm sold on Alex Sabrinas being a bench contributor because I do believe that Ferguson provi- could provide that 3 and D filler eventually that could go alongside Westbrook and George because I know Robertson's a fantastic defender, but at some point you do want that plus three-point shooting, and I do believe that Ferguson provides that. You know, or not will right out of the gate, but ultimately the final product of Ferguson could provide it because I studied him in depth for, you know, draft analysis for the Pacers, and I really like what he could be, and he could fit that mold of a 3 and D high-volume shooter, and that's exactly what you need alongside Westbrook and George. What are your thoughts on Ferguson, and do you think he could work his way past Abrinas in the rotation and almost be a heavy minutes off the bench guy? He definitely, Grant, is out of all the players you know drafted in the first round, definitely not a known commodity since he you know came over from Australia. Is that where he played? Uh, yes, correct. He okay. played for uh, in Adelaide, Australia, okay, I believe. That's what I thought. Um, so many players are going overseas instead of going to college now. It gets confusing. But in, in terms of your question, he definitely is that 3-and-D guy that the Thunder have been, you know, trying to draft for the last, you know, couple of years, you know. Houston's kind of fit that mold a little bit, but he's more power forward uh, when they drafted Robertson, you know. Same sort of idea. Obviously, his three-point production has dropped off. I'm not even going to get into his free-throw production. Um, but, yeah, Ferguson definitely, I think, can get those early minutes and steadily increase throughout the year. I, I When KD left last year and they signed Alex Abrinas, I was like, okay, you know, small forward. He, he looked decent in, you know, Euro tape and all that. But, you know, that, that's Euro leagues. Exactly. Uh, and you, it, some, some players, it translates to NBA, you know, like the unicorn in New York that obviously translated dirt, players like that. But that didn't really happen for him. He's definitely not, he's a defensive liability, maybe just as much as Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, he but. definitely is. That's my concern. Because Ferguson... At his size, he's probably going to struggle early on, but the final product of Ferguson, of course, you have to figure it out too. Will the final product of Ferguson be able to play alongside Paul George and possibly even Russell Westbrook? I think the odds of Westbrook leaving aren't that high at all, Mm -hmm. but you do have to be concerned at some point if it all falls apart. He still has the super max contract on the table. He hasn't 
you know, done anything. And unlike right. George, I don't think we're going to have to worry about Westbrook making the All-NBA team at all. Because, yeah, the MVP, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And unless something catastrophic happens where he has an injury, that's the only thing I could see. But he is the Iron Man, so I, I you're, don't... You're correct. I, have you heard that rumor that he's never lifted weights in his life? Are you serious? Or that, that's a thing? That's a thing. Or it was like he never lifted weights in high school or college. or It, it was... So he's not human? Is that, is that what this is? Yeah, basically. You, you heard it here, folks. You know, Russell Westbrook. Robot. Yes. Uh, what we want you to take away from the courtside rant with Colin and Grant is that Russell Westbrook is actually a cyborg. He's not mm-hmm. human. He is a machine. Uh, but, but Okay, back, yeah, back yeah, on back, topic. Yeah. Back to the uh, Ferguson uh, position, you know, with Robertson and all that. Ferguson, you know, just looking at him, he's literally Andre Robinson, Robinson um, 2.0 in my opinion, but a better shooter. Exactly. That's what you need. Because like, exactly. we've been waiting all this time for Robertson to become an actual asset as a shooter. But, you know, don't get me wrong. He could definitely provide heavy minutes off the bench one day if Ferguson does take that next step. And that's a luxury. You know, wild, wild thought, you know, just sitting in my head. This kind of, you know, takes me back a little bit to the 08 Boston Celtics championship team. They had Tony Allen and James Posey on the bench. Both of them can't shoot. They, they can, you know, do a little bit. They can shoot here and there. But what were what was Tony Allen used for? Defense. Say Ferguson comes along, I, I 100% think he will. He, you know, solidifies himself as that starting two, three and D. You have someone on the bench now in Robinson who, Robertson who can be a Tony Allen type player for the Thunder. You know, come on, score a little bit, not asked to do too much, slash a little bit, but mostly defend the other team's high-profile player. Exactly, because at the end of the day, you're competing with the Golden State Warriors, and they have generational shooters at each position. You have Curry, Thompson, and Durant. So... You know, you already give up perimeter shooting with Russell Westbrook compared to Curry, obviously. But George, he he's a prolific three-point shooter himself. But when you have Westbrook head-to-head with Curry in three-point volume, you need the shooting guard spot to make up for it. And when you have Robertson against Klay Thompson, or really anybody against Klay Thompson, I, good luck. I don't know why anyone would bet on Robertson but you know there, there's some crazy people out there hey some people bet on McGregor this weekend you're right you're right it lasted longer than I thought he would but <laughs> that another topic but um yeah so in terms of Robinson Robertson just coming out and you know defending players you know later on maybe that's how he stays around in the league longer because I you know across any sport some players you know ship to a specific skill set that allows them to stay in the league longer. Absolutely. So maybe he does that, and, you know, maybe this coming year we see Ferguson, after, you know, maybe a few weeks, get that starting spot just to see how he does, and then you see Robertson coming out and guarding someone like Jimmy Butler. Absolutely. Who who is now in the West. You know, uh, we, we can transition to Jimmy Butler being on the Minnesota Timberwolves now. He was traded for... Zach Levine. Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn, yes, yes. And also the seventh overall pick, which ended up ultimately becoming Larry Markinen, the big man out of Arizona. And Colin, all right. What is What are your thoughts on what transpired between those two teams in this trade? 
Okay, first of all, I don't know why I never even thought about this before, but I didn't think the Timberwolves were that bad to get the seventh pick in the draft. I didn't realize they were... Like, I knew I knew they obviously didn't make the playoffs, but, you know, I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, and, you know, they were the talk of the summer last year about being an eighth seed, or, you know, actually, I saw people saying they could be a top four seed. Maybe this year. Maybe this year, but... Um, I like the addition of Jimmy Butler, and the simplest way to put it, they they stole him from the Bulls. Thinking about it, and you see what, I'm not going to get all into Kyrie Irving yet, of course, because we still have a lot to talk about with the Minnesota Timberwolves, but if you're Chicago, why did you pull the trigger that early? You know, I know you might not get the same return. We don't know how front offices value certain players and all that, but you got to at least think that with what Boston ended up giving up for, or, you know, possibly giving up, depending on if this thing goes through with Cleveland, you could have gotten more compensation as teams missed out in free agency and with other earlier attempts for trades. Colin, do you think the Bulls should have waited or ultimately not have just given up Jimmy Butler? I think this whole Jimmy Butler saga dragged out so long because when when did it start maybe over a year ago the, yeah. last, the last two years yeah because we're talking been... about if it's Derek Rose's team exactly or Jimmy Butler and then so you so you've been having this go on the past two seasons and you know there hasn't been a change in GM so there's nothing like with that it's all straight one GM but I think that just saga being stretched out that long that I think the whole thought was they were going to pull the trigger at some point. That now, you know, they probably just honestly got tired of the whole thing drawing out. And then you have players like Rondo and Wade on your team. And that whole thing that happened this past year, like the alpha dog, all the younger players not meshing with Wade. And, and the Fred Hoiberg saga, too, you know, exactly. where he's not coaching us hard enough, all that stuff. So you had all that, you know, into one big pot, per se. And it, they definitely could have got more for Jimmy Butler. Like I said before, it, the Timberwolves stole him from the Bulls. But I think it, it was at that point in time where they were just tired of this all dragging out that they had to pull the trigger. And unfortunately, you know, they could have probably got a better deal somewhere else. But they... I. You they just gotta waited do it too at long. some point, yeah. I guess. You know, like y- you can always talk I about think, hindsight. I think the trade deadline this past season was probably the last time they get any decent value for him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, not either. saying that he's not worth value now, but they just dragged it on so long and declined uh-huh. so many different offers that that was the ending point. I think. I definitely agree with you. And now, I want to get into this Timberwolves roster here. So. You have a projected starting lineup of Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, and then you have Taj Gibson and Carl Anthony Towns. All right, so I do, I think whenever you add a player of Jimmy Butler's magnitude with the versatility that he brings to the game, you're obviously going to get better as a team. There's no debating that. It's just in regards to the pieces they have around their big three. Were those the right additions? Because, you know, Jimmy Butler is more of an on-ball player than, I would say, the superstar we just discussed, Paul George. I feel like 
you know, he needs to have that ball in his hands because he's not a prolific three-point shooter. He not, he's not going to make a lot of his impact through off-ball means. And, you know, he he's a strong facilitator, you know, creator, lane penetrator, all that pick-and-roll ball handler, all that good stuff. And do you want a point guard like Jeff Teague, who also is an excellent pick-and-roll ball handler, and that's his most, you know, significant tendency as an offensive player. I personally think that George Hill would have been a better fit for that team. And, you know, I'm also thinking about that power forward spot. Kind of ironically, Taj Gibson was on the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, the team we were just discussing. And I, I would have gone for Patrick Patterson over Taj Gibson. I do like him as an overall player. But I do believe that with their lack of prolific three-point shooting, they're going to need spacing from that four spot. And we all know Taj Gibson is not a three-point shooter. So, Colin, what are your thoughts on that point guard and power forward spot for Minnesota's starting unit? And would you have gone with other players instead? Because those players I mentioned did end up making less money, and I felt like they're better fits than Teague and Gibson. Um, well, Grant, I feel like they traded for Jimmy Butler, and they're like, wow, we we have, like, three superstar players. We can contend now. So let, let's, let's go sign more players and just keep adding and adding and adding. And they may have got a little, you know, trigger happy a little bit. But personally, I, I kind of like their additions in terms of the point guard. We, we have discussed this numerous times at length, how both of us thought, you know, George Hill would perfect fit for Minnesota. Don't see why they wouldn't sign him. And that's where we thought he was going. Every day of free agency and every time, you know, nothing was connected to George Hill. And then my, always, my backup to George Hill was always Jeff Teague maybe possibly going there. Why they pulled the trigger over... Jeff Teague could have been George durability Hill. too because George Hill missed quite a bit of games last season and Jeff Teague played basically all 82 last year if he didn't play all 82 that that's a very good point actually thinking about that now um yeah they I mean Jeff Teague and George Hill offer relatively the same sort of value on the court off, off court you could say George Hill is a better leader he just has that presence more composure with him. But not saying that Jeff Teague doesn't have that. I just think it's greater in George Hill's favor. I, I could see Tyus Jones on the come up a little bit, but that's just me being a Tyus Jones fan. He definitely has a promise of being that point guard who can make the passes they need, but as well as add that attack from three-point. And then that kind of shifts over to the shooting guard, the whole Jamal Crawford. Yeah, that's my concern, Colin, because you know how you mentioned uh, Tyus Jones possibly being you know that slasher, you know necessary passer. But can you actually make a legitimate niche for yourself as a passer when you do have to play in a team that has Jamal Crawford off the bench, and also with players like Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Jeff Teague. Of course, Crawford did play in long stretches with Chris Paul, and he is your consummate pound-the-rock floor general point guard. So I think he definitely 
can play alongside Tyus Jones. There's no concern about that. But can he actually carve out a legitimate, productive role for that Minnesota bench? Or do you think that they should have honestly pursued more of a pure shooter type of role player? Not, I honestly don't know if there would have been other options. But Anthony Morrow is someone that does come to mind for that Minnesota team. Do you, uh, Colin, do you think they should have pursued other bench players for that, you know, for those roles? Is Anthony Morrow still a free agent? Ultimately, I think he is. I just saw something about him, you know, possibly being profiled in Atlanta by police, and that's the last I've heard about Anthony Morrow, but I haven't really heard... Not, not, not the profile you want. No, no, I, I haven't really heard any updates on him in regards to his NBA career, but I do believe that he is still a free agent. If I was the Minnesota GM right now, I'd get on the phone right right now. I, Anthony Morrow is definitely someone who could be a huge addition to them and improve their, their bench. He can play the two. He can play the three. Playing a stretch four might be stretching it, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the Jamal Crawford addition because he adds that veteran leadership in the locker room that this team obviously hasn't had because they're basically just That's a bunch a of point. young players. He's not going to add anything defensively. I don't really think they need him to. It, it probably would help. Actually, but looking at it, they were 28th in, or 27th, actually, in defensive rating last season. So I do think that it would have helped to have special, maybe a specialist or something like that. Of course, Anthony Morrow wouldn't have given you that either. That Another thought that popped into my head now that you – mentioned defensive specialist why didn't they go after Andre Robertson he, I mean I know he was a restricted free agent so obviously they have to deal with that whole saga but I if they gave him enough money I don't think the Thunder would have matched the offer sheet and it hurts the rival too you know like, exactly not like a dead heat historic rival but I mean someone you're competing with to get a top four seed and if you can do that while helping your team considerably you got to at least look into it and make an effort uh, just looking at their whole cap situation, yes, they're they're very close to the whole uh, threshold and all that. They they have a little cap flexibility, but I don't. They could have moved Cole Aldrich too, right? They, they could have. You can I, always make space too, and maybe not. They wouldn't have signed Jamal Crawford in this universe. I don't think they are. Okay, they're just barely over the cap I believe but they uh, my just the only reason I'm looking at that is say they you know went after Andre Robertson and if they signed him to enough money the Thunder wouldn't have matched it most likely because why would the Thunder pay for someone that had such a horrendous playoffs exactly Um. so say they did that Ultimately, I don't think the Thunder would match it. So hypothetically, let's say that happens. So now he's on the Timberwolves. You still have a mid-level exception, unless they used it on someone else that I'm not seeing right now. They could have got Jamal Crawford still. That's that's a and very good point. You would have added that defensive versatili versatility, but um, then you would have got a shooter that would have made up for Robertson's woes. Just a thought. It didn't happen. But, you know. That's very true. Another player I do want to discuss is Justin Patton. I liked him coming out of Creighton, and I think 
he could really help as a you know a athletic run the floor dirty work big man. But once, of course, once he's healthy. Yes, exactly. That's a very good point. Once he's healthy, but I I don't really like Cole Aldrich as a uh, you know a contributor in a legitimate bench role. I do believe he is a third center on a you know a good NBA team, and I think once Patton is healthy, he'll provide a considerable boost to that unit because now you have a legitimate role man for Tyus Jones and Jamal Crawford in those all-bench units. And you also have someone who can fill in Carl Anthony Towns' role as a rebounder and also make you know units where those players like Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, and Jimmy Butler without Carl Towns can just run pick and rolls and just attack, drive, and dish with Patton. And I really like that option. That's something I don't feel like they really had last season. So let, let's say Justin Patton develops into a pretty decent center in the NBA. I don't see why he wouldn't. He just has to stay healthy. But let's say he did that, and let's say they still had their uh, core of T, Wiggins, Butler, and Towns. Could you see some lineups possibly coming out with Towns shifting to that four and Patton going in the five? Just a thought that popped in my head, because Patton doesn't stretch the floor. He's no, a more down No, he's purely low. interior guy. Exactly. Towns, on the other hand, can stretch the floor. Do you do you think they you do you think Grant you could see them experimenting a little bit maybe and seeing how that ultimately, would work? Ultimately, I mean, to me, what I think it comes down to is you know most teams if you're all in and obviously the Timberwolves have to be all in after, you know, acquiring Jimmy Butler and all that good stuff. You know, I, I believe three-point volume is very crucial in today's game when you are directly in the Western Conference competing with the Golden State Warriors. But to an- ask, answer your question, I'll ask you a question. Do you believe that Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, and Justin Patton would come close to the necessary three-point volume to make up for a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and possibly Jordan Bell, who has even shown a three-point shot himself. And Patrick McCaw. Exactly. They, they have options, and they'll only get better because what happens? The rich get richer, and that's what happened this offseason. Now, do you, do you think they're better off you know, maybe if, you know, in this universe that you did mention, Patton develops into a quality center, I honestly would feel like a trade is, you know, ultimately the best thing to do. And you can fill that starting role with a better cohesive fit. And that's ultimately what it comes down to is having those necessary assets to field a cohesive, complementary unit around those top players. And I just don't think, regardless of what happens with Patton, you're going to be able to get that when he's a finished product. I'm trying to think what I was going to say. Um, you're right, and I'm not going to answer <laughs> your question with a question have, like, three questions in a row. Um, I think if that did happen, a trade would probably be, you know, the most logical thing, you know, get some talent but I back to the whole you know keeping up with the Warriors and all that that's not gonna happen it never is everyone get that out of your mind as much as we wish it would happen 
just to balance out the NBA. Not going to. Period. Um. They they have a solid lineup. They have you know a few role players here and there. Definitely a, a proven over last year's Minnesota team. Don't think they'll be in the lottery again this year. No, I, there's no way I believe they'll be. They're a definitely going to be in that four to eight range. Four is kind of stretching it. I, I I may take that comment back. It really depends on how they gel. Yeah, definitely. But I they definitely will be in that range. Their bench has improved. I think they need to make another addition, you know, in free agency throughout the season or around the trade deadline because I feel like they're going to be one of those teams that will be in that 4-8 to eight range but are only, you know, a couple games out of, you know, that next spot or the two spots up from Absolutely. that. And I think if they, you know, realize that, they can trade for another player around the deadline that increases their chances of that. Because their bench actually was, like, a legitimate problem, like a serious problem for them last season, right? And you can't really fix everything overnight so I do believe that they did fix that bench to a degree and I agree with you Colin they're one of those teams I would watch at the trade deadline in February because there are some upgrades they can make to make it a more cohesive unit and I do believe that power forward spot is what I would look at to improve but there's also other spots they can improve too but yeah I looking at their roster right now I believe that power forward spot is the number one for me because I don't, I think you need to maximize not to be like the only thing that matters in the NBA is three point shooting, but it's becoming more and more and more and even more important in today's game, and they just don't get it from their power forwards. They definitely, I'm I'm just like clicking through teams, seeing who's out there. I'm not gonna name any players in specific. They should go after, or could go after, but I think their best way is probably going after a power forward that has a year left on his deal. I think Thaddeus Young would be nice for their defense, too. That, actually, you mentioned that, that, that would fit, a, yeah. and that stretches the four a little. Four yeah, little I mean, bit. he had a wrist injury, like, midway through the season, and that really just put an end to his three-point shooting. It's not going to be, like, warrior stretch. Yeah, it's the not floor, like a high but, volume or anything, but, but he'll give you a small to medium volume. It'll definitely be an improvement over Gibson and Dane stretching absolutely the and the defensive improvement is as well immense yeah. too because he forces a lot of turnovers not to become the Thaddeus Young podcast or anything <laughs> but he definitely does provide an impact that I really feel like would be almost I'm not going to say perfect because he's not a high volume three-point shot maker but outside of that he's exactly what I would look for in a power forward if I were the Minnesota Timberwolves so I know how you mentioned that Jimmy Butler is a ball-dominant kind of player as well as, you know, Wiggins, Towns, you could argue a little bit. So talking about on-ball players, let's switch it over to two new ball-dominant players who are now on the same team in CP3 and James Harden. How, how do you see that panning out and that addition to the Rockets? I like it. I, I don't know if it will be exactly what they sought out for it being I could see it where it's kind of you know it takes a little bit for it to truly get going during the season but it's a little bit different in this regard they can actually single-handedly run an offense themselves and there's gonna be stretches where one of them's on the bench and the other one is just straight up running pick and rolls to death and driving the lane and straight up floor generaling their offense so I, I believe that that is something 
that makes a huge difference when you do have two superstars. Because a lot of players, whether it's wing players or big men, they can't be legitimate focal points of an offense in today's game and be highly successful. Another thing that I do like with that pairing is that both are actually quite capable off-ball players. Chris Paul has improved as a shooter in recent seasons, and he's a legitimate off-ball threat now. And as he gets older, I do believe it is in his best interest to become more of an off-ball player as long as he does have a creator alongside him to maximize the offense, and he does. He has James Harden. I can't think of many players that are better than him for that role, and James Harden can go back to his roots you know, of being more of a slasher, and all, like a catch-and-shoot player, off-screen guy like he did in Oklahoma City. I, I feel like that it's in their best interest to truly take a step back in terms of usage as a floor general because you can't really be a one-man wrecking crew in that volume all season long and truly expect to be ready to go and be a deep playoff team. So, Colin, do you, do you agree with that? And what do you like about that Chris Paul-James Harden pairing? So, just, I know a lot of people, this is a little off topic, but a lot of people are like, okay, James Harden was second MVP voting. He's going to go out and do the same exact thing next year and win the MVP. Before I answer your question, I'm going to ask answer your question with a okay, question for okay. you to answer real quick before I I go into my little spiel about the whole situation. Do you think James Harden is going to put up the numbers he put up last year? Because remember, he shifted to the point guard role last year, and now you bring in another point guard. Do you think he can put up the same numbers and be in the MVP race? Now, I'm ultimately, when I'm looking at their unit, I don't think they made enough changes for him to not make quite the rebounding impact that he had last season. So for the most part, his volume in terms of overall impact outside of scoring should be quite similar. I do believe he'll get his assists, and what, I know his usage is going to naturally go down, but I do believe that there will be stretches where he's a like a concentrated facilitator for that offense, and they did improve, I believe, in their role player spots you know with guys like Luke Mabba, Moot, PJ Tucker and they still have Eric Gordon off the bench and they have Ryan Anderson firing threes like a flamethrower behind the arc <laughs> so I I do believe that he will get his assists it might be a little bit lower and in terms of scoring with what he had in terms of turnovers and inefficiency in his you know you know, field goal percentage and all of that, and his three-point percentage wasn't even that high either. I believe he will turn those a lot of those tough shots into easier shots, and his efficiency going up should cancel out, for the most part at least, a decline in volume opportunity. I, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, going back to your question that you asked me originally <laughs> before I answer your question with a question do I think they're gonna work I'm gonna say yes only because when I was at the sports business classroom this summer at the summer league we asked Daryl Morey who's the GM of the Rockets for you guys who didn't know that after this whole trade went down like is this gonna work like you can't put two ball dominant point guards together and expect it to work 
that's what one would think when looking at basketball and how it's played and the flow and all that. But how did he answer the question? They're superstars. They'll make it work. They want to win. And I don't think you need to argue it any more than that because he's not wrong. Because think about it with the Warriors. Yes, it's their system that they have that ha- helps them succeed. But how many of those players... Okay, you have about two of them who are ball dominant looking about it now. But they have a lot of players on the Warriors who expect to have the ball a lot. And most of them are superstars. But they get it to work. So why can't two players? I also think it plays into that whole uh, Russell Westbrook-Paul George pairing type situation where it's like, all right, you have two one-man wrecking crew type of guys, and now they're coming together. I don't think, it's not like we're talking about Rajon Rondo and Monte Ellis here. You know, I think a lot of people point to that, that pairing experiment with the Dallas Mavericks when they're talking about two creators. Because, I mean, it's not like Monte Ellis was a joke. He was almost an NBA All-Star that season. And Rondo, people still thought of him in a high light because he wasn't too far away from what he did as a Celtic. So... I think the main difference there, obviously, is Chris Paul has improved as a shooter, as I mentioned earlier, in recent seasons. And James Harden actually has experience as a slasher and as, you know, a catch-and-shoot guy and all that good off-ball nuanced stuff playing alongside Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So, uh, of course, he won't revert all the way back to being a six, you know, all that stuff, six-man, low, far lower usage rate. But still, I believe that... Having a coach that understands, and a general manager that understands that they will have a point guard, one of those guys, on the floor at all times makes a huge difference. And the time that they spend on the floor together should be greater in efficiency, and they should be rested up and you know, for those stretches where they are the one guy on the floor, which should naturally translate to higher efficiency when they are the one guy on the floor. So I, I definitely believe that it should work. Because it's not quite like anything we've really seen in recent seasons, even though many people will try to oversimplify it to two ball dominant guys. Because they they aren't they're not your run of the mill point guards. They're they're far more versatile than what people really give them credit for. I I don't think you could say it any different. Um, I mean any better, my bad. But uh, yeah, I agree with you, Grant. And just for all of you listening out there. The roster you see the Rockets having currently is the roster you're going to get for most of the season unless an injury happens or a trade because they are hard-capped right now, which means they don't have much flexibility at all. Once they hit that cap, there's no going over it with exceptions like some other teams have. So you're just going to have to get used to seeing James Harden and Chris Paulino running the show. No problem with that for me. In terms of, I don't know where I really want to go with this, but so, you know, you have the addition of two superstars like that. We've seen it work in the past with teams. We've seen it not work in the past with teams. In terms of superstars switching teams, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about is there a difference when you're adding two superstars to a team that already has some superstars instead of just you know adding one and who I'm talking about with that is the Boston Celtics 
Obviously, yes, yes. Let's get into it. So the Boston Celtics did sign Gordon Hayward in unrestricted free agency this summer. And there is a trade pending. You know, um, a physical of Isaiah Thomas's hip where Kyrie Irving would be sent to the Boston Celtics in exchange for the all-star point guard Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and the Brooklyn Nets future first-round pick being in next year's NBA draft. Now, before we get into all the X's and O's, if you will, of the, you know, the teams and all that, what do you think about this trade? I like it for Cleveland because really a lot of people weren't, when the people I read and listen to weren't, it felt like there was this sort of perception that Cleveland was going to struggle to get a lot for Irving. And I feel like this is the best they could have done and it's going to help them now and in the future but it really depends, not to get too much into it, on Isaiah Thomas's hip. If he's not healthy, then the whole current sort of impact of this trade goes to the toilet. But if he is going to be healthy for at least heading into the playoffs, I really like this for Cleveland. Um, so we, we, we had talked about this before. With Let's leave out the whole fact that Kyrie is going to Boston, possibly, and all that. So... Just signed Gordon Hayward because of that. We traded uh, Avery Bradley and got Marcus Morris back. And as we were talking before, that just there's a log jam in that small forward position. So naturally, when I heard that uh, Kyrie uh, was possibly going to be sent to the Celtics, I was like, okay. I tweeted out, smart business move by the Celtics you get a point guard who's under team control for two more years, who's four years younger, has a little bit of an injury history, but currently doesn't have that hip issue that who knows how that can affect him later exactly. on. As well as you clear up that small forward position and finally, and when I mean finally, I mean finally unload one of the many, many draft picks that the Celtics own right now. I, I like the Gordon Hayward signing. I don't see why anyone thought he would go anywhere else with the whole Brad Stevens connection and all that. I like the versatility he adds to the team because that allows them to shift Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to 2-4. So it allows them, you know, to fill other voids with versatile players instead of having to worry about, okay, crap, we don't we don't have a person in small forward position. Then you bring in Kyrie. Kyrie's going to add that superstar mentality that the Celtics have been wanting, I think, since Pierce left and since you could say Garnett and Allen, but since the big three was around. And so you put him in, you slot Brown at the two and Hayward at the three and then Horford at the five and Tatum at the four and Morris at the four. You know, interchangeable. But I I think it's a win-win Generally, for both teams, did I before all the details of the trade came out, I, you know, thought okay, you know, the Celtics definitely like you know won this trade, but then I realized wow, they they gave up a lot, and I do I do think it's a lot they gave up, but I think that's the only way they were gonna get Kyrie. I completely agree with you there, and I know there's a lot of people on Twitter.com who like to almost diminish Kyrie Irving as an overall NBA player because of his defense and also that he's not a pure passer. 
But when you're talking about a guy who is excellent at both isolation and pick-and-roll ball handling, who can put up like 27-plus points per game, that's something special right there. You ultimately, what you need to do is have a unit around that type of player that, you know, covers up his defensive deficiencies and can knock down open shots because those players just don't grow on trees. That is a very special NBA player right there. And I think that's going to really help the Boston Celtics form not only an identity around their new roster, but I think Gordon Hayward could really benefit from having a high-powered offensive perimeter player because he hasn't had that so far in his NBA career necessarily. And when you do have, or at least since he became an NBA All-Star, I should add, you know, he's going to have... Also, Al Horford, who's quite a Swiss Army knife himself at the center spot. I really like that overall unit, too, because Jalen Brown will finally be unleashed. He'll get the opportunity he needs, and he's looked ready for a while. He may not be the best jump shooter, but ultimately his versatility will. You know, I, I, I saw something. He'll be looked to as the guy to fill Avery Bradley's role as a defensive stopper, and he's got the physical tools to do it, and I think he's more than capable of... You know, it's a it's a high, it's a lot of a, it's a what am I trying to say here? It's very tough to really think about filling that void that Avery Bradley left as an on-ball defender. But I believe he can provide off-ball defense that Bradley struggled to provide, and that could take Boston's defense to the next level because you have a bigger point guard. Because Isaiah Thomas naturally at his size, that's hard to really cover up. And now you have Kyrie Irving. He's not the best defender, but he's at least bigger, considerably bigger. And now you have Jalen Brown, who's considerably bigger than not Isaiah Thomas. I meant to say Avery Bradley, of course. And then now you have Gordon Hayward. And now Marcus Morris and Al Horford as your front court. I, I like that unit overall. Their offense was already top 10, but I think that that goes up quite a bit more. They'll be a top five offense, in my opinion, or should be, unless they have injuries. And their defense could, you know, move up to being top 10. They were 14th last season defensive rating. And that's ultimately what could help them give Cleveland at least a run for their money because you really don't want to bet against LeBron James ever until he's actually dethroned. And I think the key for them will be having a strong defensive team. And I believe they've done what they they could have done to do that. In terms of defensively, the Celtics, I think, I mean, this is me just personally, I, I think they got worse because I'm only saying that because Tatum is in college was more known for his offensive skill set instead of defensive skill set. So you have, you add that in there. Hayward it is a decent defender, but he's, yeah, you know, he's, not, he's, he's nothing ball, special. Yeah, he's not a he, lockdown guy. He does what he needs to do, and he does it fine. And then... Brown could, you know, become that really good defender, but he's still young. He's only 20. Exactly. Then you get rid of Crowder and Bradley, who were your best defenders by far, and you bring in someone like Kyrie, who isn't the best defender, but you're basically swapping him and Isaiah Thomas, who also wasn't that good of a defender either. Obviously, the height came into play a little bit. So... I think, and then they just lost their two best defenders. And what I'm looking at now is I feel like they're 
going to try to outscore Golden State. Good luck. It, yeah, it's not going to happen. You know, this team could possibly do it if Kyrie comes through because you add him, then you have Hayward, Brown, Tatum, Horford. It's possible. It's definitely not anything close to the Warriors. You're not going to get that, but I feel like that's what they're trying to build here. And then I, I like I like the trade on the uh, Cleveland side because you get Jay Crowder, who you can pair next to uh, – LeBron James, and you can swap either of them at the three and four, which allows that defensive versatility that they needed against the Warriors because you have LeBron out there guarding KD. He was playing free safety. He wasn't really even guarding them. He did exactly. that. I, I, was, I saw that front and center against Indiana. When Monte Ellis was on that floor, he was camping right in the lane, and you can't do that against Kevin Durant, obviously. So having Jay Crowder to legitimately defend Kevin Durant will be a step up even if he can't actually stop Kevin Durant, because what human being can? And once and once Thomas is healthy, who knows when that will be. We don't know the severity of it, really, because, you know, it's all talk here and there on both sides. But you're, you're swapping basically two all-star point guards for each other. So in terms of scoring, there's not, like, a huge drop-off, so you're not losing anything there I mean you could say you know chemistry you're losing because it's a new player but it's it's I think it, in the end you we can agree that it's a win-win for both sides looking at specifically now obviously the trade hasn't been completed and we we're talking about this earlier how the Cavs might void it because of the whole hip thing and they're saying the Celtics weren't clear about it when the Celtics were like okay Isaiah has this hip issue here's all the details about it i think the Cavs are trying to pull a slick one under the Mm -hmm. the celtics but so with their talks of you know asking for more assets from the celtics i think the most you're going to get back is a first rounder maybe two second rounders instead of a first you know it it really depends on how negotiations go but you know there's been reports out there of they're going for brown they're going for tatum cleveland just just stop it's not going to happen the celtics are never going to get rid of those two because those are two superstars in the making another thing that i do believe is under discussed about the boston celtics is going from amir johnson to marcus morris i believe that's an improvement on both ends of the court and it may not be a huge defensive improvement because i saw stats where detroit just their starting lineup with marcus morris at power forward of course he's not the only factor there it was not good defensively at all it it was pretty pretty sad but Offensively, I definitely believe they get better with Marcus Morris on the floor. And I do believe that the foot speed improves and the overall defensive versatility marginally gets better with Morris instead of Johnson. And that should at least be good for a little bit of improvement. And it really comes down to how improved those two young studs can be defensively, you know, throughout the season next year. And, you know... A lot of people do put a lot of stock into young players, and they just don't quite improve at the pace a lot of people believe they should be at in today's game. So it, it's, it's definitely up for discussion throughout the season next year. I think those are the biggest keys. I think basically this, this is a bold prediction from Colin right here. Within the next three years, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum will definitely, no question about it, be in the conversation for the All-Star Games. 
definitely Brown more than Tatum because, you know, he's had that year of experience, but I'm saying both of them. Well, since they are in the front court, I do believe one of those spots will be reserved for Miles Turner, but let's talk about that another day, of course. But a player I do want to get into that I feel like has gone a little bit under the radar is Paul Millsap signing with the Denver Nuggets. Now, I know NBA Twitter really loves Nikola Jokic, and that's that's a great player there. But what's interesting about this to me is they get even better in their front court with another legitimate passer with Paul Millsap. So there, there's going to be a lot of unique actions between that front court with their passing ability. So I think Jokic could even improve more as a facilitator heading into next season. And the Denver Nuggets, they'll be fighting for one of those playoff spots, and I believe that it ultimately comes down to what they can get from their starting point guard position. Will Emmanuel Moutier take the next step, as many play- or many people, I should say, have anticipated from him? Or will it end up being Jamal Murray who ends up being in that point guard role? And Jamal Murray, I, I love his potential as a player, but, you know, it's just a lot. A lot to really be an X factor for your team making the playoffs being that young in the NBA in today's game. So, Colin, do you believe that adding Paul Millsap is enough to be a playoff team? And how how far do you think Denver could get? Do you think they could uh, pull a fast one on one of those top four seeds in the first round? The I almost said the Thunder are on the rise just because that kind of flows. But... The, the Nuggets are on the rise, and I definitely think they can steal one of those bottom spots. And obviously, we'll see how the season plays out, you know, with how teams gel and injuries and all that. You know, they could, they could rise. You, you never know. But you have Jokic, you have Murray, you have Harris, you add someone like Millsap, who apparently on 2K can play the three. <laughs> no, no. I, I would never do that in real life, but... For some reason, 2K just automatically wants to do that sometimes when you already have a starting power forward in place. But I, I do like the addition for them. I know he's kind of going home a little bit since he's from that area, and that always adds another motivation to players. It would add a motivation for me as well. So I, I see where they're, they're coming from that. I think it's they have a good young core that's really coming into it now, and then you add someone like Millsap who's not, you know, like, Channing Fry old or someone like that, but they can add, they add an element to that team that they can still contribute a lot and still be relied on, you know, heavily if needed, and add that presence in it. So yes, I think the Nuggets are definitely on the rise. They're coming back to those days of Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson, and J.R. Smith days. and J.R. Smith. So I I like the addition, and did they lose Gallinari? Yes, but I don't. I don't think it was a drastic loss for who they already had and who they brought in. I think it just gives them a little bit more flexibility. And having Gary Harris from the start will really help too. Because I know a lot of people, um, I I do believe in Nikola Jokic as a player, and I believe he's fantastic. But a lot of people miss out on the fact that Gary Harris came back around the same time that Jokic did too. So uh, those stats about the offensive rating and all that when he became a starter... That, uh, I believe it deserves some context to a degree. I'm not trying to take away from him at all as a facilitator because he is a very unique passer at the center position. 
But I, it's more, I'm trying to give credit to Gary Harris as a player. I believe he's someone that could be in the running for most improved. And oh, definitely. Yeah, he, he could be, you know, like this could be his year to take the next step as an offensive player. And having a guy like that with the potential of Jamal Murray and having a Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic front court is pretty special to build a team around. I don't believe they have the necessary pieces at the moment to really take that step of being a top four seed, but they do have the foundation in place to, you know, going forward to maybe add a necessary, you know, a wing player or really see with what they have at that point guard spot because that's another concern for me, as I mentioned earlier. Emmanuel Moutier, I, I haven't been too high on him during his time in the NBA. He turns the ball over a lot. He doesn't really create a lot of clean shots for his teammates. And he's not an efficient scorer or a good jump shooter or defender. So, I mean, I really just ripped him apart there. Uh, and I, I think Jamal, I don't want to really force Jamal Murray to be something that he's not either. But at least he can provide jump shooting and versatile scoring at that point guard spot. And when you have a front court like Millsap and Jokic, he can cre get shots created for him. He doesn't really have to be a quarterback, if you will, of an offense. So, Colin, do you think that Denver should look into, you know, maybe just trying out Moutier more at point guard and seeing if he takes that next step? Or do you think maybe going with Jamal Murray, experimenting with that a little bit? Or do you think they just need to make another roster move? I like Murray playing... The two because Harris is, I mean, not the two, the one because Harris is not going to be taken away from the two. I agree with you there. So give Moutier a little bit of time, see what happens because he's been around a while. He should start to show his worth now. If nothing really pans out, Murray is your guy there. You And then you can always trade Moutier or put him in that, you know, lead that second unit, that six man sort of role, high energy guy off the bench. And then, you know, you, you can always look at the possible option if both of those, those don't pan out or Murray is, you know, more a two than a one. Call the Suns. Bledsoe, Bledsoe is open. He, They, they want to move him. So that I think you kind of just got to let it play out and see. Definitely give Moutier the chance, but I like Murray there. And if for some reason that doesn't pan out, you have someone you can trade for in Bledsoe who – the Suns want to get rid of. I really like that idea there. I think that's that that would be quite a team, you know, with you know Bledsoe and the Harris, and then you had that front court. I really like that idea. And lastly, well, the New York Knicks are a team in the NBA, of course, and they still have a player called Carmelo Anthony. Which who, one, Hoodie Mellow or no Hoodie Mellow? Well, I, I personally have a preference of Hoodie Carmelo Anthony, but, you know, I, ultimately, let's just get both of them out of New York. Let's, <laughs> it doesn't matter, Hoodie, um, you know, Snuggy Mellow, whatever, anything Mellow, just get Snuggy all Mellows out of New York. I would really like to see him on that Houston Rockets team. He hasn't. There hasn't been any indication of him expanding his list of preferred destinations. And with that no trade clause, it's either Houston, H Town, or it's no, you know, New York. You know, you're not really gonna yeah, get him. Cleveland's kind of out of the question now. Exactly, because it gets really complicated when you're trying to facilitate a trade, not only but also an actual roster around that move. 
So thinking about a possibility where you have Carmelo Anthony on that Houston Rockets squad, I I know a lot of people trash Carmelo's defense and all that, but I really have a hard time believing that Ryan Anderson provides greater defensive impact than an in-shape, locked-in Carmelo Anthony at the power forward position. And Ryan Anderson does not create offense nearly at at the rate that Carmelo Anthony does. It's not even a contest. So that could be that you know that unique firepower adding tool that Houston could use, you know, to compete with some of the other top teams in the West because you know a team like Oklahoma City, they'll have great impact from their top two guys, but you know, you need to be able to have wing players that can flat out shoot the ball for you and also just create their own offense and I think a lot of Carmelo Anthony's problems is that he views himself as an elite player still with his tendencies as an offensive player and I I believe if you turn more of those pull-ups into catch and shoots and easier off-ball offensive opportunities he's going to really rise in efficiency and he could impress quite a lot of people and he could be exactly what that Houston Rockets team needs at the power forward spot. Not to ramble too long, but you have, you could possibly have a unit, let's just take Ryan Anderson out of the picture, of possibly, because I do believe Eric Gordon, I saw that as a you know a player that New York really wants. So let's just say a starting lineup of Chris Paul, James Harden, Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony, and Clint Capella. That's a whole heck of a lot of spacing there with elite offensive creation from that backcourt and a, honestly a role, role man at that center spot in Capella that I really like. So Colin, what do you think about that unit and which what, what do you think Houston would need to give up? Because that seems to be the holdup here. Is they just don't have a whole lot just to throw around to add a player like Carmelo Anthony. I'm going to keep it very short here since you know we're, we're starting to wrap up. I I'm thank you for mentioning Anderson because you're talking about putting Carmelo in that four because Carmelo's towards you know the de- uh, descent of his career he needs to switch to the four absolutely and I'm not saying that offensively because you know he's still great player offensively we also forgot about Olympic Mellow to exactly. add it add into exactly. the Olympic Mellow um but yeah. He can't keep up with threes anymore because the game's changing. He can keep up with fours, though. Absolutely. And I, I think if you had Paul in there, Harden, Ariza at the three, and then uh, Capella at the five and Melo at the four, I think it's a great lineup offensively and defensively. So is Melo going to change? That's the real question because Melo likes to do what Melo likes to do. It's almost like that Dwight Howard situation. Everywhere he goes, you know, Dwight would be really great on this team if he could just embrace being a role man and a a screener and, you know, a rim runner and all that stuff. But he still demands those post-up touches. Does Carmelo Anthony still demand those pull-up jumpers? You know, those those high volume of inefficient shots. His game, he'd have to change his game to fit the Rockets system. Kind of like, not, Katie didn't change his game, but change how he plays like he did to became fit the became easier, warrior. and he exactly. embraced the easy form you, of he, offense. He talked about it, how people are like, oh, you're like giving up possession and shots and all that, and he's like, 
well, it make it makes it easier for me when I do have those shots to make those shots and more opportunities and in the long run win a championship, which we saw them do. So I, I hope a trade like that happens. You know, there's always lots of speculation with New York because it's New York and especially with Mello because he's Mello. So that's something we're just going to have to kind of wait and see. Exactly. And the waiting game, you know, we just start the timer now and – he could get traded. Who knows when it could be now? Exactly, it like, could be like five Kyrie hours. Irving. We just we didn't. I didn't really see the timing of that one. Like like happened. there was talk when he came out saying I want to trade. You know, there's all this speculation and you know some discussion, and then you know it quieted down. And then when the trade happened, or it hasn't happened, but when it was confirmed, he it came out of nowhere one day. Like it popped exactly. up on my phone. Celtics and Cavs in discussion to swap Kyrie and I and Isaiah Thomas. So it, it could come today, it could come tomorrow, come in 10 seconds, who knows? <laughs> it could come in three months. Just just be on the lookout because, yes, there's a new GM in New York, but I think Melo is on his way out of New York unless there's some miracle that happens. I agree, but one thing I do want to discuss about Carmelo Anthony at the four, I do believe the four spot in the NBA is anemic. You know, there's considerable drop-off from the top guys. And, you know, I don't really think there's any prolific shot creators like Carmelo Anthony at the four spot. So Houston could create one of those unique advantages that no one could really replicate outside of unique small ball lineups. That would be their everyday lineup, and he's like 240 pounds and fits the bill physically for what you need at that four spot. So no one has a typical this is our everyday starting lineup with that type of an advantage. So I think that would be quite an interesting team to watch. I, I agree. So be on, be on the lookout. So I think we kind of got through all our topics we wanted to discuss in our first podcast with all of you guys, and we, we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope to be continuing this for, you know, who knows how long. We, we see a bright future for this podcast, and we feel like we can go a lot of different routes with it, and we can see it you know, becoming more and more popular and becoming very successful. Any last few words you want to add, Grant? I think uh, overall, I definitely agree with what Colin was saying. We believe this podcast is a high-potential podcast, and we're looking forward to the future. And be on the lookout for our links because we're going to try to get this thing onto iTunes, YouTube, all Spotify even, all those good platforms. And create a Twitter account for it so you know. Exactly. You can follow along the feed for the links and use your favorite audio provider and hopefully we'll be on it and it's easy to follow us and listen to us. So thanks again for checking us out on our inaugural episode and that that's it for exactly. the, the Catch court us in the side. future. That's it for the courtside rant with Colin and Grant.